Heavenly Father, praise your holy name. Praise and worship you, Heavenly Father. Ask you, Father, for your forgiveness, for your help, for your strength, for your mercy, and for your grace. And ask that your will be done in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, can you want to go lock that door, turn the blinds around, everything for me? Turn to Daniel 11. Daniel chapter 11. the book of prophets, volume four, book of prophets, book of Daniel, chapter 11. For the record, today's date is March 3rd, 2000. 18 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In God's calendar, this is the 16th day of the first month, 12th month, 16th day of the 12th month. Well, here we are now. And it is no longer term. We waited it out. We were faithful until the end. And we was wrong. Most of all, I was wrong. And I led you in deception. And I am sorry I ask you to please forgive me. And I ask that you would allow me one more sermon, one more day 
and one more opportunity to help you and strengthen you and edify you with the Holy Scriptures and for your continued long-suffering and patience with me. I think upon AJ and his wife, Kiki, and her sons, and other members of each one of your families, Michael's parents, Lisa and Brittany, and other people around the world, what I have done to you and to your families to cause shame upon the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the kingdom and to you and your families and all the pain and the suffering that I have caused that is inexcusable and undeniable. But I will not quit serving Jesus. I will not quit preaching. I will not quit teaching. I will not quit proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, nor of the true prophecies that are still yet to come. I will not turn back. I will not sit down. I will not give up. but for me to proclaim another date. Today, tomorrow, next year, or 10 years from now, it would take an angel from the Lord himself or a manifestation of a burning bush or lightning or thunder to declare another date. until we see the strong delusion. Once we actually see the strong delusion, then we can count 1,335 days unless we are still in kindergarten, kindergarten, or first grade. Otherwise, we should be able to count to 1,335 days. But for me to try to figure out what's wrong with the timeline, I am not going to try to recalculate it, change it by one day, two days, a month, three months, five months, one year. I'm not going to do it. Timeline is wrong. You can rip it apart because it is wrong. I don't know why it's wrong, but it's wrong. I was wrong, and the prophecy was wrong. 
There's no ifs, ands, and outs, or buts about it. It was wrong. And when your family or friends contact you concerning this, I encourage you to have the same attitude and response that it was wrong. Because it was. But, We did see huge, major, undeniable, prophetic type of events, foreshadowings, symbolism of the future. And no one can deny that. What we did see was something to be watchful for. We should have been watching. But I should have never said that it would be the strong delusion. However, we praise Jesus that it failed. We praise Jesus that I was wrong. Because now we have more than 30 days. Now we can continue to learn skills and prepare supplies and warn more people of the true events still to come. Amen. We rejoice that we have more time than we thought. But do not think that it is yet another decade away because it is not that distant. It is near and at the door. The strong delusion could happen before this sermon is done, or tomorrow, or the next day, or the next week, or the next month. But to say that it would be another year away, I think, would be foolish. For what we did see during current was the world spinning out of control. We did see signs of the strong delusion. We did see storms in the sky. We did see demons upon the earth. We saw the president of Russia threaten to attack America with nuclear weapons in a way that I believe had never been done before. We saw that Trump demanded an immediate ceasefire 
of Russia and Syria, and I assume also Iran, inside what the article said, all of Syria. And we know that ceasefire will not really and truly occur. Despite news reports of agreements and ceasefires and so forth that we've seen a million times over and over before, there will not be any ceasefire, never has been, nor will be in the Syrian region. To think or to have a mind frame that or attitude that it is far away, that it is not at the door, would be a dangerous mind frame attitude. It is safer and wiser and better and more prudent to continue to have the attitude that it is at the door and be ready and continue to get ready and stay ready rather than returning to your old ways and to Babylon and the Sunday church and Christmas and Easter. Catholicism and Islam and atheism. Return to the vomit like a dog eats his own vomit would be sickening and an abomination unto the Lord. Even though I led you in a deception, it was by mistake, not intentional, and each truth stands on its own merit. If I am wrong on one doctrine, or even two or three, it does not prove all other doctrine incorrect, wrong. And neither does this failed prophecy prove all future prophecies wrong. Everything stands on its own merit. Amen. The truth of the seventh day is firmly established in Scripture. You cannot deny it. The same is true of the holy days and the truth against a three-headed monster God. The truth of Christmas and Easter and Halloween is self-evident. And even the Russian and Chinese invasion is self-evident if you have any kind of ears or eyes, spiritual or physical. Who can deny such things? And it is also extremely self-evident. It does not take a prophet to know that the president of Syria is the son of perdition, what they call the Antichrist. The Bible calls him the Assyrian repeatedly. In Arabic, he even has the name of Assad and his real family name both in Revelation 13. How can this be denied? 
It is scripture. It is not Pastor Tim. It is not I saw the light ministers. It is not the website, and it is not me. It is what is written in scripture. It has his name. So now, we must now learn what we can learn from this experience. And these are the scriptures that I believe that Jesus has laid in my heart to share with you today. Daniel chapter 11 starting in verse 33. And we're going to make some corrections here. And we praise Jesus that now we're going to have some more time. I don't know how much more time, but some more time to continue to perfect this translation as well as getting ourselves ready physically, mentally, emotionally, for the days ahead. In verse 33, it says, and the intelligence of the people, as you say, wise, the wise of the people. And the wise of the people shall understand much. Yet, they shall fall by the sword, meaning by war, and by flame, by fire, and by captivity, and by spoil of many days. And this is talking about the wise of the people. This is talking about people who have true wisdom. And for those that are just tuning in, Daniel 11, verse 33. This is talking about wise, not the foolish, but the wise, the wise virgins. They should understand much, doesn't say everything, but they should understand much, and yet still fall. Still fall, either by war or by being taken captive. Verse 34, and when they are weak, they shall be helped, but only a little bit. They shall be helped with a little help, but many shall attach themselves to them with treachery, meaning hypocrites that attach themselves to the ministry or to us, pretending to be our friends, pretending to be followers of the ministry, whatever. In verse 35, and some of them that understand, that is the wise, shall fall. But I looked at that word fall in that particular verse there. 
And it can mean fall, but it can also mean stumble. And in this particular case, I believe stumble is actually more correct in this verse alone. So we're going to cross out fall and put stumble. So it says that some of them that understand shall stumble. Now, even though it says in verse 33 that they shall fall, and we're going to keep it fall in verse 33, we're going to keep it as fall in verse 33 because it's a larger fall. They're actually being killed by sword, or they're actually being taken as prisoners of war. But here in verse 35, that's not necessarily the case. It can include the same people, but it can also include others that don't go into as intense of a chastisement or as intense of a testing, but still yet testing. It says to try them with fire and to test them and that they may be manifested at the time of the end, for the matter is yet for a set set time. Now, in one sense, these scriptures are talking about in the times of Antiochus, in the first abomination of desolation in the B.C. years. But it is also true that it has it's also a foreshadowing, even as Antiochus was a foreshadowing of our current president of Syria, it is also foreshadowing and directly speaking of us as well. It does prophesy that even among the true followers of Jesus that we are going to stumble. We're going to stumble. But guess what? It is for a reason. Not every mistake is a total accident. There are mistakes and then there are mistakes. Not every mistake is a total accident without reason. Sometimes you stump your toe and that's all it is. Sometimes you have a flat tire, and that's all it is. It's not even spiritual warfare. It's just a nail in the road. But then there is spiritual warfare of the devil against you. But then there is also chastisement of the Lord as well. And then, besides all of that, there is also testing, which is not necessarily the same as chastisement. The only testing and forming you as a piece of clay, a piece of pottery that God is the potter, we are the pottery, we're still on the wheel, we're not yet obtained, we're not yet to perfection. And sometimes the potter has to reshape the pottery, add a little bit more water, speed up the wheel, slow down the wheel, poke his finger in and form a new lip 
new curve in the pottery. And then we have to be thrown into what they call the keel, which is an oven, but they call it a keel. A piece of pottery has to be cut into the oven after it is shaped. It has to undergo intense heat to be finalized and purified. And, and you think of diamonds, how a diamond has to undergo millions of years of pressure to eventually uh, form into the shape and size and the beauty of a diamond. And we are like diamonds in the eyes of God. We are his ultimate creation, greater than the sun, the moon, and the stars, and even the angels. We are to become his masterpiece, and he is still shaping us and putting us in the fire and testing us. I believe that part of this was a test to see who would stand, who would quickly fall away. Many years ago, when I used to spend a lot of time on Facebook, which now I spend almost no time on Facebook, but when I used to spend a lot of time on Facebook, I remember a pastor in Mexico that had tons of truth. We agreed on everything. And then, by one false doctrine, one, only one false doctrine, which I warned him against, and he did not listen to, he became an atheist, a pastor of truth, and he became an atheist because of one false doctrine that he found somewhere on the internet that led him astray. How easily some people can be captured, entrapped, ensnared by trials and testings, temptations, and tests. God doesn't want people that are so easily ensnared, so easily taken away by the enemies, but rather he is seeking a people that will persevere with him until the end and throughout all of eternity. He doesn't want nor need a people, a person that gets into paradise and then becomes the next Satan. Satan was beautiful, wonderful, good, But 
his own pride and vanity led him to become the enemy of God. And God cannot risk that happening again. That another one of his creation, another one of his children, another person, another being would be a spiritual being and rebel against God and ruin paradise for everyone. It cannot be allowed to happen. We have to be tested, and we have to be tested hard. And sometimes it hurts, but it is needful for us to really, really, really be tested to see if and make for sure that we will remain in truth forever without end. Amen. And so it says here that some of the wise will stumble for this purpose, to try them as with fire, to test them, and that they may be manifested at the time of the end, meaning that when the end comes, when judgment comes, when the resurrection comes, rather, you're talking about the first resurrection or whether you're talking about the great white throne judgment, that by the time that we are turned to spirit, that we would have learned all of our lessons and be perfected, that our heart be purified, that our hearts be purified, that our minds be purified, and that includes being humbled the proudful will not enter into the kingdom. We have to be humbled. We have to be able to say, I did wrong. I was wrong. We have to be able to confess fault. We have to learn humility. Amen. This is a great lesson. Maybe difficult at times, but it is a great and needful lesson. Remember, remember these words, stumble and fire and test and try, because we're going to see this over and over in these next few scriptures, let's go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 in the New Testament. Near the book of Revelation, 1 Peter chapter 2. And actually, we're going to start in chapter 1, 
rather than chapter 2. 1 Peter 1. Verse 6, actually starting in, yeah, verse 6. Maybe, maybe, maybe. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we, right now, for a little while, are distressed. You know I am. I am distressed. And I believe that some of you are as well. By various trials. So that for the reason of that the proof of your faith, proof of it, proof of it, of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the appearing of Jesus Christ. When it says tested by fire, if you think of any person being thrown in fire, like the three Hebrew young men in the book of Daniel, that is a painful and scary test. Amen. Think of Daniel thrown in the lion's den. Think of Jeremiah thrown down in the pit in dungeons and Paul arrested and Jesus arrested. Think of all the trials and the sufferings and the persecution of all the prophets and apostles and saints before us. Amen. But the proof of our faith being more precious than gold, so that we may be found in the praise and honor and glory, all of that, that phrase means Eleuji. Amen. Eleuji. At the appearing of Jesus Christ, that we'll be able to say that, that we'll be able to sing that song that we'll be able to say that praise that we would have obtained and crossed the finish line because that we passed all the tests, that we were purified, that we got all the pride out of us, or rather, God did, that he got all the pride out of us by how? Not just by teaching not just by sermons, not just by reading the Bible, not just by praying, not just by going to church, but by suffering, by trials, by tests, by stumbling, by mistakes, 
through our ups and downs and going through the valleys and through the dry deserts, through the, through the times that you don't hear any ancient prayers, through the times that you don't see miracles, through the times that you are hungry and the times that you don't have clothes and the times you can't afford what you need and the times you can't pay your rent and the times that you do suffer persecution and the times that you are called a false prophet and through the times that they say that you're lost and deceived, the times that they laugh at you and mock at you and all the other sufferings and trials and tests that we have endured and will endure. That's not over. And the scriptures say that you have not yet resisted unto the blood, not yet resisted against sin, the blood. Some people will be tested to the point of death. Some people will fail that test and take the mark of the beast of Islam and worship Assad only to get a bowl of soup. They will sell their birthright of salvation for food or for their parents or for their husband, wife, or children, or friends, and lose their own salvation. Hard test is good and needful. Who will endure with Christ unto the end. Who will will endure the sufferings of the cross? It is not enough to pick up the cross and carry it one mile and then set it down. It is not good enough or sufficient to pick up the cross for a one-minute prayer and lay it down. It is not sufficient to take up the cross and carry it five years, 10 years, 12 years, 14 years, 18 years, 20 years, and then lay it down. You must endure that cross until the very moment that you are turned to spirit. From the time that you accept Christ in the truth until the time you are turned to spirit, regardless of how long that time length may be, you will carry the cross on your back every day, every minute, and every second. It's not an easy road. The cross will get more heavy at times and lighter at other times and heavier and heavier at other times. You will occasionally feel the splinter of the wood of the cross. 
you will occasionally feel in the spirit and in the mind and in the heart and in the flesh the piercing of his side, the piercing of his heart. You will feel it. You will feel his anger, his sadness, and his joy as you walk with Christ to the cross. The sun will lay it down and say, it's too heavy for me. I cannot endure it. It's too much. And they will return back to their vomit, back into Babylon, back into unbelief, back into whatever God had delivered them from, back into the bondage of corruption and give up their rewards and have to start all over again. And they bring even more shame to Christ than what I have brought. They crucify Christ again as the scriptures proclaim. When they have to repent again they put him to open shame, having to re-crucify Christ every time that they backslide and come back to Christ and crucify him again and again and again. Let us have a made-up mind that we are in this thing for the long haul and for eternity, that there is no turning back regardless of how strong the winds begin to blow, even in a bomb cyclone, cyclone, even in wind-begetting, even when the beast from the east comes against us, that we will stand the test, that we will endure unto the end, and those people will be saved. Matthew 24. Notice here in chapter 2, go down to the next chapter. In verse 8, talking about Jesus, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they were disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. But this is talking about the Jews, that the Jews stumbled about Jesus Christ. But according to the book of Romans, which it also even refers back to, even though I didn't put it in the footnote, that according to the book of Romans, it was appointed, even as it says here, it was appointed for them to do so. It was appointed, it was ordained, it was planned by God for the Jews to deny him. Read it for yourself in the book of Romans. It was God's plan for the Jews to turn against him so that the Gentiles would come in and then the Jews become jealous of the Gentiles and so forth. And there is the time of the Gentiles 
what's that called, written, the times of the Gentiles, just simply like that, until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So, it was appointed for time and for season for that to happen to the Jews. Be careful about condemning the Jews about their fall. Because that was God's will. That was God's plan. That's the way it was supposed to be. So people have to be careful about when we condemn people. Because we may be condemning God's will. Amen. Some people are not meant to accept the truth in this lifetime. Some people are meant for the second resurrection. We have to be careful about these things, about who we condemn and why we condemn. Jesus came as a stumbling block to the Jews as it was appointed to happen for a time and a season. So, is it any coincidence that we hear about people stumbling on purpose according to the will of God? And because there is no separation in the original scripture between chapter 2 and chapter 1, you didn't have no verse numbers nor chapter numbers originally. So, you only have a few verses in between. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, down to chapter 2, verse 8. You only have like 10, 15, 20 verses there at the most between these and no separation of verse numbers or chapter numbers originally. So putting this whole thing together, that you can see that people are being tested and tried purified by throwing them in the fire and even bringing a stumbling. That some people will fall, that some people will stumble, that some people will even turn against Christ. For God's ultimate plan that everything is going to work out. God is in control. Amen. Now, of course, we don't want to stumble and we're not supposed to try to stumble. But when we need to stumble, God will cause us to stumble when we need it. And when we stumble and we fall flat on our face, we say, thank you, Father. I needed that. Amen? Even as Paul said, that he glorified in his infirmities and in his sickness and his physical weakness and when he was backwhipped and stoned and shipwrecked that he glorifies God for all of this. It helped him because Paul had a major issue with sin according to Romans 7. And all of this trial and suffering helped Paul, and he gave God the glory for it. Amen. Let's go 
back to uh, Daniel. Daniel 12. Daniel 12, verse 9. And he said, Go, Daniel, for the words are closed and sealed up until the time of the end. Many must be tested. Must be tested. Underline must be. And underline the word many. Many must be tested and thoroughly whitened and tried with fire and sanctified. But the transgressors will transgress, and none of the transgressors will understand, but the wise shall understand. Amen. Now remember, there was no separation of chapters back then, there was no separation, chapter 11 and chapter 12. And, but it does progress back and forth by different time eras. But that directly refers back to chapter 11, verse 33 to 35. So I encourage you to put at the end of chapter 12, verse 10, at the end of chapter 12, verse 10, put a reference to uh, chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. And so again, I repeat, at the end of chapter 12, verse 10, I had a note that it was, that it refers back to the reference number of 11, verse 33 to 36. And then over chapter 11 uh, at the end of verse 35 chapter 11 verse 35 at the end of that I encourage you to write in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 and 1 Peter 2 verse 8 so again, that's 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7, and 1 Peter 2, verse 8. And I also encourage you in the wide margin, if you have the five-volume edition, or somewhere wherever you can fit it, if you have the old edition, uh, beside verse 35, out in the wider margin, or somewhere on the page, verse 35, 1135, make a reference to 1210, referring back to chapter 12, verse 10. That way, any time in the future that you read these scriptures, 
uh, you have these references. So going back to 12, verse 10, it says, Many must be tested and thoroughly widened and tried with fire and sanctified. This is for our sanctification. This is to make us become holy as he is holy. You know, I've said over and over and over and over that the people always use the excuse, I'm human, I'm not holy, I'm not a saint, I'm a sinner, so forth, so forth, so forth excusing their sins, thinking, believing, and brainwashed to believe that they can never, ever stop sinning, which is ridiculous because you can't go to heaven or into the kingdom until you do stop sinning. Amen. And many people wonder, how am I ever going to get there? How am I going to ever reach that perfection that condition of not sinning. And part of it is through the trials. Part of it is through the lessons that you touch the hot pan and realize, don't touch it again. That's hot. You learn that lesson by burning your hand. You learn that lesson through breaking your foot, through cutting a finger, through breaking a finger, whatever, you learn that lesson. Through whatever your condition in life is, you learn, hopefully, learn lessons from your experiences. And that's how you reach maturity. You can never reach maturity without making mistakes. There's one country song that the lyrics say, how, how am I ever going to be old and wise if I'm never young and crazy? How am I ever going to be old and wise if I'm never young and crazy? The only reason people are old and wise is because at one time in their life, they were young and crazy and made mistakes and learned their lessons and gained wisdom by learning their lessons of mistakes. Amen. This is how we receive sanctification. It's by being thrown into the fire, tested and tried. Amen. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, here in the same book of Prophets. Isaiah 40. Page 28, if you have the five book edition. Isaiah 40, verse 21. Isaiah 40, verse 21. Will you not know? Will you not hear? Has it not been told you of old? Have you not known the foundations of the earth? It is he that comprehends the circle of the earth 
and the inhabitants in it are as or like grasshoppers. He that set up the heaven, it should say the universe, change out to the universe. He that set up the universe has a chamber and stretched it out as a tent to dwell in. God, Jesus, set up the universe as a chamber, stretched it out as a tent to dwell in. Verse 23. He that appoints princes, governors, so forth, leaders, to rule, has nothing, and has made the earth as nothing. For they shall not plant, neither shall they sow, neither shall their root be fixed in the ground. He has blown upon them, and they are wilted away. And a storm, such as a sod, should carry them away like sticks. Now then, to whom have you prepared me that I may be exalted? saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has displayed all these things. Even he that brings forth his host by number, meaning all of the stars, all of the planets, all of the people, all of the angels, all of creation. He who brings forth the universe basically by number. He shall call them all by name by means of his great glory and by the power of his might. Nothing has escaped you. For say not thou, O Jacob, for say not thou, O Jacob, and why have you spoken Israel, saying, My way is hidden from Theos, and my Theos has taken away my judgment and has departed. That reminds me of the verse in the New Testament that says something like, of a warning of saying that a man says the Lord has delayed his coming and he returns back to his drunkenness and his wayward life, everything that he, of his past, goes back to his past and everything. There's a warning in the New Testament about that, that some would do that and that would be a horrible thing. And it says, verse 28, And now have you not known, have you not heard, the eternal theos, theos that formed the ends of the earth shall not hunger nor be weary, and there is no searching of his understanding. He gives strength to the hungry and sorrow to them that are not suffering. But the young men shall hunger, and the youths shall be weary, and the choice men shall be powerless. But they that wait on Theos shall renew their strength. They that put forth new, they shall put forth new feathers like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not hunger. King James, I think, says faint for that last word, but that's not correct. And here in the Greek Saturian, it actually does mean hunger. This is a correct translation. It's more than saying that you should not be weary, but rather you should not hunger. So notice, underline the word eagles. And 
underlined where it says not hunger. I will read that last verse again to help you remember that verse as we go to the next verse in the book of Revelation. It says here again in verse 31, that they that wait on Theos renew their strength and they shall put forth new feathers like eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not hunger. Those that wait on the Lord, hey, we thought this is going to be the strong delusion that we could start counting down the 1,335 days. That would have been glorious. It would have been glorious to start counting down the 1,335 days to the appearing of our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And even before then, 41 and a half days before then, that we'd get to meet him, be called up into heaven. Yes, that would have been glorious. But it would also have ushered in much suffering upon the earth. Much suffering upon the earth. And now, instead of ushering all this in yesterday or the day before, now we must wait on the Lord. Amen? Now we must wait on the Lord. And those that wait on the Lord, even though right now we are weak, right now we are weary, right now we have stumbled and we are still recovering from falling flat on our face. For those that wait on the Lord rather than falling away, will renew their strength. We'll get back up. We'll get back up, dust our pants off, and get back up on the horse and ride it again. Amen. They shall put forth new feathers like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not hunger. Let's go to Revelation 12 now. Revelation 12, verse 14. Revelation 12, verse 14. You can go ahead and underline eagle. We just read about the eagle. This is talking about us fleeing into the wilderness whenever we do flee. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman, the church, so that she could fly into the wilderness to her secret hidden place where she shall be nourished, underline nourished. That means you shall not hunger. Amen. You shall not hunger. Those that wait on the Lord. That's why we don't flee on day one. 
two, three, four, five. We wait until the very end. Those that wait on the Lord. Even Daniel 12 talking about the 1,335 days. It says, blessed he that... Let me read it. I don't get it. I don't want to get it. Um, I think it says wait. Let me see if it does or not in Daniel 12. Last verse of Daniel, I think, or is it the verse? Yeah, it says wait. Not the last verse of Daniel, but the verse before that. Daniel 12, 12. Blessed is he that waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Those that wait on the Lord. Amen? Those that wait on the Lord. Blessed is he that waits and comes to the 1,335 days. That's the day of Jesus' return. Amen? Going back to Daniel 12, I mean, uh, Revelation 12 now. Revelation 12. We should be nourished. We should be nourished for time and times and half a time. That's three and a half times. That's three and a half years. We are not going into hunger. God has given us more time to buy more seeds, to learn about planting, to learn about hunting, to learn about fishing, to learn about whatever it is you need to learn about, to get one more can of food, to do whatever, one more candle, one more matchstick, one more website, one more day of learning, growing, getting ready. And not only that, but reaching out into the world, letting somebody else learn about the seventh day, the holy days. Because prophecy is prophecy. You're not saved by knowing prophecy. You're not saved by knowing dates. You're not saved by knowing that the strong delusion is coming. You're not saved by knowing the truth about heaven and hell. You're not, you're not saved by knowledge of future events. But people must know for salvation that you've got to get baptized, that you have to repent of Christmas and Easter. Hey, guess what? Easter is coming up real quick. Let's start putting out flyers or articles or posts or whatever about Easter. They've got to be warned. They've got to get warned. We don't know how much time we do have now. But let us not act as if it's a year away or ten years away. Let's stay busy for the Lord. Amen. We will be nourished. Amen. Look at chapter 3, Revelation 3. Revelation 3, starting in verse 7. Revelation 3, verse uh, 7 is in the context of Jesus told John to write letters to the seven churches. 
Now, in one sense, those seven churches was seven congregations, seven towns, the saints that were uh, assembling for services every week in seven different communities. And this one particular town in verse 7 was actually a town called Philadelphia. But it wasn't in Pennsylvania. It wasn't in America. But rather, in the Middle East, there was a town uh, during that time called Philadelphia. And and John is told to write these letters to the, the saints within these seven towns. But these letters and the entire book of Revelation was not written just to people 2,000 years ago, right? It's written for us too. And not just for us, but for our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and our great-great-great-great-grandparents, and 1,000 years ago, and 2,000 years ago. So it's for all people from the time that John wrote it into eternity. Amen? It's not just for those seven towns 2,000 years ago, but for all of the church from that point forth. So it's not talking just to those local people back then, but rather also the seven time eras of the church. Seven time eras of the church. And when you get to verse 7 here, from 7 to 13, the church of Philadelphia represents the best of all seven of these churches. It was the one that that Jesus had the most praise upon and did not uh, correct as much as far as chastising them as far as in these verses. But I'm sure they got a lot of chastisement to get to the perfection that they had reached. Amen. But that particular time frame was a time that I remember as a child and even before I was even born that I've heard a lot of the older people talk about when people were much more passionate about serving God, being obedient. Even in Babylon, the churches were full in that time frame. I know that's Babylon, but nevertheless, it is a picture of society as a whole, in general. A picture of society, a time when men were men and women were women, and people uh, there was not as many atheists, and there was not as many uh, Satanists, and there was not as many homosexuals. And the homosexuals did not have the freedom to parade down the street in public uh, dressed like whores uh, and all that. So this was a time of the Philadelphia church. And I also remember the collapse of that era the change in society, the change in the church, and the change even within the people that were keeping the seventh day on the holy days and the people that were following Jesus in the commandments and that were not doing Christmas and Easter, that did not believe in the Trinity, that did not believe in pre-trib rapture, a change in those people. I witnessed that in 1986 through 1992, that transition 
into the next era of verse 14, the Laodicea era. When a lot of pride came into the church and compromise and false doctrines and division and confusion and lukewarmness. And ever since then, even the true followers, and this is talking about true followers, all seven churches. This ain't talking about Babylon. When it gets to verse 14 through 22, Jesus has a lot of condemnation against that church, but it's not a church of Babylon. It's true followers. And yet, they've got a lot wrong. They're lukewarm rather than being passionate and on fire for the Lord. And that is the condition of a lot of people today in the world and in Babylon and even within the true followers of Christ. I know that most of the time it seems like we're the only ones in the world, but it's not true. There are other congregations. There are other pastors. There are other people. We just don't know where they're at, but they're there in the world out there somewhere, somewhere. And among them, there are some people that have the Laodicean attitude, the Laodicean mind frame of lukewarmness. And even among a lot of the people that follow this ministry on the Internet, who I never hear from, that never email me, that never call me, that never write me, that don't listen to services, but they read the newsletter. And they follow the newsletter and they keep up with the newsletter and they read the articles and they're keeping the seventh day at home and so forth and so forth. But they never take enough initiative to actually contact me in any way, shape, or form. Nor the initiative to listen to services, even though they can do that over the phone or the internet. They can do it live or archived. It's not that big of a uh, uh, not that hard, not that difficult of a thing. Here, AJ and Kiki are, are listening in the middle of the night, four, five, six o'clock in the morning, and people here in the United States can't even listen at two o'clock in the afternoon. So that's the spirit of lukewarmness. Sitting the fence, writing the fence, just kind of just waiting to see what happens, but not taking a side on either side. And concerning that lukewarm people of this time, of this generation, in verse 15, it says, I know your works, that you are neither cold, neither cold, nor hot. I desire that you were hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, neither neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus would rather that we take a side, 
and either get in there for the truth, listen to services, and be part of this congregation, and be passionate about it, or at least contact me and tell me I'm a false prophet and rebuke me and tell me how. Would be better, would actually be better than these lukewarm people that are just riding the fence, just not taking sides either direction, just kind of just hanging out, waiting to see what happens. Because the people that just ride on the fence, they're just going to die out. They're just going to die. They're just like grass that will welter away and they just really won't count in the great tribulation. Now, they, they will rise in the next season. They will rise in the second resurrection. They will have a chance to count at that time. They will have a chance to be compassionate, hot or cold in that season of the second resurrection. But in the great tribulation, they would just die out and not make a difference no more. And their reward is gone, and their memory is gone, and their works are gone, and everything is gone about them. But not only will the righteous remain, but the wicked will also remain. Those that God can use for a purpose, they will remain alive. And those that the devil can use for a purpose, they also will remain alive. It is better to take a side and make a difference and step out in faith and be passionate about what you truly believe rather than a person that would never step out and make a difference in this world. It's actually a good thing, even though we stumbled, even though we did make a mistake, even though I brought shame upon this ministry, upon the truth, upon true doctrine, upon true people, upon a true congregation, upon yourself, into your family, your friends, your relationship with your family and your friends, despite all the shame and the tragedy and the pain and the hurt, in the overall plan, it is better that this happened and that you took your stand than for you to have never taken a stand in either direction and just waited to see what happened. Let's read a little bit more of this, going back up to the Philadelphia era in verse 11, Revelation 3, verse 11. Jesus says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, so that no one one would take your crown. Now, even though he's speaking to a town in Philadelphia 2,000 years ago, he's also speaking to the Philadelphia era, they end it when I was a teenager, but also he's speaking to us today because the entire book is written to us 
and because there are congregations that take on these characteristics and pastors that take on these characteristics and individual members that take on these characteristics. Within one congregation, you can have a member that is a Philadelphia type of person and another member of the same congregation can be a Laodicean type of person and so forth all down the line through the seven, all within one congregation you can have. And, and you can also have a congregation to, in general, have a Philadelphia characteristic or Laodicean characteristic or any of these seven churches, a, a particular congregation or person, individual or pastor, or even an entire congregation can take on these characteristics of any of these seven churches. You can have a congregation of true believers where the pastor is Laodicean, but he's, he's still a true pastor. And every member of his congregation is Laodicean, except for one person, who is Philadelphian. That's possible. But Jesus says to us and to the entire church in verse 11, he's going to come quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one would take your crown. When it says hold fast, that means hold tight, grip tight. And in fact, I'm going to change that in the Alpha and Omega Bible. And it's going to say, instead of hold fast, it's going to say, hold very tight onto. Hold very tight onto what you have. Hold very tight onto what you have is how that's going to be worded. And in some verses, in different contexts, at some times, not in this particular verse, but some verses, it can even mean seize. Seize as like an army will seize a particular town is where it's like a force. But in this particular case, you're holding tight to what you have. And the reason that you're going to have to hold tight is because there are attempts against your soul, even from the devil and from the enemies, that there are attempts against your soul so that no one would take your crown. There are false preachers out there and there are family and there are friends and there are co-workers and there are neighbors that want you to lose your crown. They want you to go back into the Sunday churches. They want you to give up. They want you to give up on this ministry. They want you to give up on Jesus. They want you to give up on the seventh day and the holy days. They want you to go back into the Islamic holidays that Jesus delivered you from, they want to steal your crown. 
And you have got to hold tight. You have got to hold tight because the pressure is only going to get more intense. We ain't seen nothing yet. It's only going to get more intense. I hope you understand this. Again, a verse says that we have not yet resisted unto the blood. Cross can get heavy and painful. Let's go to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 34. No, put your put a book, put a bookmark, piece of paper, something where you're at in Matthew 10 if you already went there, because major point that I need to go back to Revelation 3. There's some paper over there. Once or I've got to go back to Revelation 3. This is real important. Revelation 3, verse 18. Revelation 3, verse 18. Sorry about that. I've got to share this. This is real important. Revelation 3.18, I advise you to buy of me gold refined by fire. Now, he's talking to the lukewarm people of the church of Laodicea, of our end time, the last generation, the last uh, time era of the church uh, just before the tribulation. He says to these people who won't take a side, who are neither hot nor cold. They are lukewarm. They're fence. They're sitting on the fence. They're right in the fence. He says, I advise you to buy from me. Not that he wants money. That's not what he's talking about. Gold refined by fire. Do you know what he's really saying there? He's saying, why don't you pick a side even if it's the wrong side and get tested and get tried and and stumble? You have to stumble. You must stumble in order to be purified. You, people are trying to take the safe way. They neither want to rebuke me nor follow me, either one. They don't want to follow my teachings. They don't want to follow my, my, you know, as far as actually listening to services. They don't want to actually be part of this ministry. But neither will they rebuke me either. But it would be better that they rebuke me 
and stumble by doing so than to be right in the fence and make no mistakes. It's better to step out in faith one way or another. And Jesus is saying here, I want you to make a mistake. I want you to pick a side, even if it's the wrong side. I advise you to buy from a gold that is refined by trials and sufferings. Fire. That fire that hurts. Fire that burns. Fire that reshapes you. Fire that will mold you into the pottery, into the gold, into the person, into the spirit that you need to become. As the one scripture said that I had you to underline, must, they must be tried, or whatever it said there. Amen? Amen. Amen. So now let's go back to Matthew 10, or go to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 34. Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a spiritual sword. I came, verse 35, I came to set a man against his dad and a daughter against her mom, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be the members of their own household. So that means even wives, husbands, brothers, sisters, children, grandchildren, anyone, not just the ones that listed them. And we are seeing that, aren't we? We are seeing a division, not caused by the devil, but rather caused by the truth in doctrine. Even though we made a mistake on the specific event of the dates and even the entire timeline must now be wrong but we still stand upon correct doctrine and correct prophecy that the strong delusion is going to happen. It will be a sod. It will be a sod in the sky. And everything, amen, everything is all going to happen. And people now are going to say to you, will you now Leave that ministry. Will you now admit that we don't have to keep the seventh day? Well, what does this have to do anything to do with the seventh day? This has nothing to do with the seventh day. And people would love for you to 
become one of those lukewarm Laodicean fence sitters. And even though it would have been better for some to have taken the wrong side, there is also a danger of having become hot, on fire, passionate for the truth and for Jesus Christ, and then falling away. Now that people have gone so far into the truth of Jesus Christ, this has nothing to do with Pastor Tim. Now that you have come so very far in the truth of Jesus, and to now fall away, it won't be going to the point of a fence, fence sitter or a lukewarm person. It won't be just that. It will be worse because the scriptures also declare that after we have tasted the truth and fall away, then it's going to be worse for us than if we had never known the truth. Because too much that is given, much is expected. Amen. So we've gone too far now, so far, that we don't even have the choice now of being a fence-sitter. It's all or nothing. Amen? And it's not going to be nothing for me. I'm not going back to being a dead, walking zombie in the misery of death, walking death, death styles, drugs, and all that that Jesus delivered me from. Why would I do that just because of one mistake? That would be pretty foolish and ridiculous. Amen. But let's keep reading here. It says in verse 37, He who loves dad or mom more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And just like in the previous verses, even though it mentions only certain people, it's true of any of our family. If we love our cousin more than him, we are not worthy of him. Whatever. Amen. So the fact is, and the point is, that through this experience of the past few days, you may lose your wife, your husband, your parents, your sons, your daughters, your parents, your grandparents, your friend, someone or something. But it's for a reason. That it's not always the devil that does these things. It's clear in these verses that Jesus talked about him doing this. That he 
is causing division within the families and friendships and relationships to divide the people from those that will follow him and those that will not follow him. Amen. And who will follow him all the way and who will follow him only halfway? Who will ride the fence and who will go 99% of the way and then fall all the way back down? We are being tested. Make no mistake about it. We are being tested. Amen? And even though it is hard, it is difficult, and we're going to have to answer to people, and we must confess that we were wrong to some extent, that we are not wrong about following Jesus, and we are not wrong about what is still yet to come. It is as clear as day that it is still coming. Stand your ground. Amen? Confess? Yes. Let them condemn you? Yes. Let them mock you and laugh at you and declare that you was wrong and I was wrong and we was wrong and we was all wrong? Yes, we were. You're right. Confess, 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 confess. Humble yourself, but then stand your ground about the truth that still remains. The truth still remains. Amen? The truth still remains, regardless of our faults. The truth still stands, and we must stand with it. The truth still stands and we must continue to stand with the truth. And the truth is named Jesus Christ. Amen. And we may lose a husband, a wife, parents or children or grandchildren or best friend, but it will be worth it. Because the truth is still the truth. And when the earth is on fire, the truth will still be standing. Amen. Look at verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. That cross is a long road. It's a lifetime. And there are mountains that we must cross with that load on our back. There are valleys we must go through with that cross on our back. There are creeks that we must cross. And there are dungeons that we must be entered. And there are prisons that must be entered. And there are persecutions that must be endured. And there is mocking and laughing that must be endured. And there is persecution and divorce and famine and nakedness and wind and storm and trial and tribulation and blood and martyrdom for some. But 
the resurrection will still happen. The truth will still stand. That cross can get heavy, will get heavy, but those that endure that cross unto the end, the same shall be saved. Verse 39, he who has found his life will lose it. That means if you have found your career, if you have found your money, if you have found your prosperity, your prosperity gospel, and your luxury living, and your college education, and your this, and your that, and you've made a life for yourself, you've found that life. He that has found his life will lose it. All that will be gone. It's all in vain. That he who has lost his life, he who has lost wife, house, son, daughter, parents, job, career, houses, whatever the situation may be, for my sake, will find it. You will find life, eternal life. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him to sin. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, which is a good reward. Amen. Let's go to Romans uh, 8 for the last chapter here that we'll go, last chapter that we'll read. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 16. Romans 8, verse 16. Romans 8:16 The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of Theos and if children hires also hires of Theos and fellow hires with Christ if indeed if indeed we suffer with him so that so that because so that we may also be glorified. Amen? You cannot get glorified, turn to spirits, is what that means, unless you first endure the suffering. People in the world, including Babylon, want the wages of the gift of life and the wages of righteousness and the wages the wages of the, keeping the commandments and of obedience and wisdom without practicing wisdom, without practicing the observance of the commandments and the keeping of the commandments and the, the obedience to Christ, they want the gift of eternal life without doing anything.
they want the easy road. But God does not promise an easy road. Amen. It don't say that we're going to be glorified no matter what. But rather it says, if indeed we suffer with him. Jesus said that the servant is not above the master. That he was persecuted and the prophets before him was persecuted. That we will be persecuted too. We will be hated. The world will hate us. And woe unto him, Billy Graham, woe unto him to whom the whole world speaks well of. Amen? I don't want to sell a million copies. I don't want to be the best seller, the top ten best seller. I don't want a mega church with 50,000, 100,000. I don't want for the news article to say about me that a million people got saved at my crusade. Because if they say that about me, then woe unto me, because I must not be of God. Because only the only way you're going to supposedly so-called lead millions of people to Christ is only if you're really leading them to the devil. Because in a wicked time, in a wicked generation, and a wicked world, you don't have millions of people flocking to a true man of God, but only to a devil. Amen. Let's keep reading. If we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of Theos. For the creation was subjected to vanity, not willingly, but because of him, Satan, who subjected it in hope, meaning that he would overthrow Theos that the creation itself also will be set free from its bondage to corruption into the liberty of the children or the glory of the children of Theos. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waited eagerly, even though we must wait, waiting eagerly, waiting eagerly, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption, the release of our body. For in hope we have been saved. The hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he has already seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, 
With perseverance, we wait eagerly for things. We have not yet seen the fulfillment of the prophecies and the beginning of the countdown, the beginning of the 1,335-day countdown. But we'll wait. We'll wait. And we'll wait for however long it takes, however long or short that time may be. We'll continue to wait. But we will also be about our Father's business. And we will wait eagerly. And we will remain watchful. And we'll continue to prepare our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our flesh, we will continue to exercise the spiritual gifts. We will continue to pray and to fast. We will continue to keep the commandments of the Lord God Almighty, and we will continue to be the people of God and the kingdom of our Christ. We will continue to be his church, his people, his congregation, and his bride. And we may have a stain on us right now. We may have a spot, a blemish, a wrinkle on our dress right now. But it will be pressed out. It will be pressed. It will be tried. It will be folded. It will be washed. It will be dried. And we will arise from the pit and we will arise from the grave, for the grave cannot hold this body down, and the, 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 the hail and the grave will not. How does that go for the, the grave? The grave, that the, uh, oh, Lord. Somebody text me about that verse says, the, the grave body. You know what I'm talking about, AJ and Kiki. We'll look it up later. It has no power. It's on my wall right here. Hang on now. Well, I thought I had it written on the wall, and I guess it don't. But as soon as somebody gives me that verse, I will forward it or let you know. Let me see. Check this text message. Nope. Nobody's texted me yet. There's no power of the grave over the church. I don't know that verse. What a shame. No. It doesn't say it that way. That's why I'm trying to figure out what it is. 
Look at us. We are filthy. I'm filthy. I'm the pastor. I should know this. Check my email. All right, I'll give up. Our church is looking for it. Congregation is looking for the verse. Look in King James the word grave and church. Or hail and church. Yeah, hail and church. All right, we're going to pull it up for you. I'm sure some of you are like, I know it, I know it, I know it. You know, phrase that goes from a lot of King James Version, hell and church. The hell will not prevail over the church. Something like that. Ah, and I say also unto thee, that thou art here upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against me. That's it. And I, I guess that's it. All right, so read it out loud, church. This Matthew 16, 18. Matthew 16. Let me go here. I think that's it. I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm thinking of. Matthew 16, 18. Let people have time to turn in. For I say unto you that you are Peter. But upon the foundation stone, talking about Jesus himself, I will build my congregation of called out ones. And the symbolic gates of the grave will not overpower it. King James says that hell will not overcome it. So even if we die, there is a resurrection. And even if we did not believe in the resurrection, there's a resurrection coming. Prophecy does not save us. Amen. Prophecy is going to be fulfilled regardless of how many people believe it or not believe it. All prophecy is going to come to pass. And they can laugh at us, they can mock mock us, or when we have a senior moment, 
and when we have an embarrassing moment, and when we have a down moment, and when we're in the desert, they can continue to laugh and mock. But prophecy is still going to be fulfilled. And they're going to see the president of Syria as what they call the Antichrist. They're going to see it, whether they believe it or not. And regardless of when it comes to pass, they will see, as 2 Thessalonians 2 teaches us, that he, Assad, the son of perdition, will sit in the throne of God, in the temple of God, the seat of God, in the temple of God, which is in heaven, as the Bible tells us in another verse. Assad will sit in the seat of God, in the temple of God, in heaven, which is the abomination of desolation, which is the strong delusion. It will be a false coming of Jesus. It will be a false Armageddon. And it will be World War III. It will be the destruction of Damascus. It will be the daily head wound of the capital city of Damascus. Thirty days after that, Israel will be invaded. And it doesn't matter how much people say over and over and over that Israel will never be invaded and America will never be invaded. They can say that as much as they want, but it's going to happen. Amen. And sooner or later, these prophecies will be vindicated. We will be vindicated as a congregation, as a minister. We may have mud on, mud on our face right now. And there may be weeping for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Let's move forward, press forward, rise up, and continue to shout the truth boldly, but without pride, and humbly. Let's proclaim the message of the gospel of the kingdom of our Christ. I thank you for listening today. I thank you for your long-suffering with me. Thank you for your long-suffering as we were looking at the verse. It shows you how tired I am right now, fatigued. But Jesus will renew my strength and he will renew your strength. Amen. And again, we don't know how many days, weeks, or months that we have right now before the strong delusion, abomination, and desolation. But we can't get lazy. We have to go back to work. We have to go back to our jobs. 
We have to be responsible people. We have bills to pay. Life continues. But we are not going to draw back to our vomit or to unbelief or to Babylon. We're going to press forward. Stay in the truth. Stay faithful. And hold very tight onto what God has shown you, taught you, and where God has brought you to. And continue to press forward to greater maturity, greater strength, and greater things to come. For you were, you were born for this time. Amen. Keep each other in prayer. Keep Korea, the church in Korea, church in Australia, the church in Nigeria, Zimbabwe, and here in America in prayer. Keep Trump in prayer for his survival and his deliverance from Babylon. And I will say this as well that all the respect I had for Franklin Graham or most of the respect I had for Franklin Graham is now gone. Because through this, of this time of the world worshiping Billy Graham as a pope, Franklin Graham only continued and promoted the worship of his dad rather than saying the truth that his dad called people to embrace Babylon. His dad called people to embrace the Catholic Church and Islam. I know this to be a fact. And when those people thought they were getting saved and thought they were surrendering to Christ, they went down to the altar at the feet of Billy Graham and was met by Catholic priests and Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and others that were ready to ensnare these people at the very moment. And they were never taught the commandments nor baptism or how to follow Jesus. But they were led into a trap of Babylon. Billy Graham saved nobody. He led them to their death. And I had great honor and respect for Franklin Graham, thinking he was different from his dad, because of his bold public rebuke of Islam and homosexuality. But now I see the truth. That he's just like his dad because he should have told the people the truth rather than promoting the worship of this human, his dad. But he's lost my honor and my respect. 
Well, we'll close this service down, and uh, I hope that you'll continue to um, or start having uh, a good Sabbath, a restful Sabbath. So if you've been missing out on sleep, maybe you can take a snooze or two through the rest of the day, get to bed early tonight, enjoy the Sabbath. Of course, in your time zone, <clears throat> the seventh day is probably over with. And I've preached the day away. So I hope you've not fallen asleep on me. And I appreciate your love, your support. And again, AJ, I am so sorry. And Kiki and Lisa and Michael and Melissa and uh, Daniel and Gonda and other people. Uh, I am sorry for my mistake what I did, what I said, what I proclaimed, that was in error. But Christ still stands, and his truth still stands. And I will condemn no one that chooses to leave this ministry this day. I will not condemn you. I will not rebuke you. I will not say a evil word against you. You have my promise. Because if anybody falls away from this ministry because of what has happened, I cannot blame them. And neither should you. They have the right to leave this ministry. But they should not leave Jesus Christ. Nor the truth. Nor true doctrine. Nor true prophecy. They should not leave none of those things. But if they leave me, that's okay. I'm only a human. Just don't leave Christ. Don't go back into the world. Don't go back into lies. Don't go back into false doctrine and compromise with the enemy. Amen? anybody has any questions, feel free to call me, text me, email me. I guess I'm going to go lay down for a while. Uh, Brittany's got some spaghetti cooking, some sauce cooking, and uh, we'll have a meal, we'll have some fellowship, and, uh, and I hope to see everyone next week uh, for services, same time. And uh, we'll continue uh, the ministry. So thank you for listening today and all of this in Jesus' name. And the whole congregation said,